Please open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you stand, I'll be reading verses 22 through 33, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And yes, we are still working our way through 1 Corinthians 11, still in one verse and one phrase. So we've been working our way through the man is the head of a woman. And the reason we're taking this time is because the world does not understand nor appreciate these truths. And therefore, the church is pressured into taking stances that are not biblical. So we want to just carefully work our way through understanding how God has built this headship relationship. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is, mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Please be seated. The church desperately needs to hear and to heed the instructions on biblical headship that we have been working our way through these past weeks. The world desperately needs to see this example lived out in the church with joy and consistency. Biblically strong men who lovingly lead their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her are an essential component of a church which will be used of Christ to accomplish the Great Commission. Biblically strong women who submissively help their husbands as Christ submitted to his Father and did everything for his glory are one of the strongest catalysts for spiritual growth in a church that will be used of Christ to accomplish the Great Commission. So what we'll see this morning is that God has designed the universe to operate under his authority in such a way that a woman answers to Christ for her willing, joyful, comprehensive submission to her husband for the purpose of helping him accomplish their God-glorifying task of making disciples. Again, God has designed the universe to operate under his authority in such a way that a woman answers to Christ for her willing, joyful, comprehensive submission to her husband for the purpose of making him, or excuse me, helping him accomplish their God-glorifying task of making disciples. A woman is to joyfully submit to her husband's headship to the glory of Christ. Now, in biblical headship, it is the man's role to lovingly lead, and we've been discussing that the past several weeks. There's a love component to what the man does. He is to love as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for the church. So a man loves his wife in this way, but also there is the leadership component, the oversight component. He is to have authority in the direction of the family in a God-glorifying, to God-glorifying purposes. And so as we've covered that, we now work our way towards the wife's response. So if we're going to talk about what it means that the man is the head of a woman, we, and, and we're going to discuss his responsibility in relationship, most specifically in this case to his wife, we're also, we must talk about how a woman, how a wife is to respond to her husband. And so we will take a look in depth at that this morning and pretty much an unvarnished presentation of a woman's role as both the one who submits and the one who helps. We're going to do all of that in one morning. So ladies, get ready. 
right? We're just going to blast our way through these things. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, also look at 1 Peter chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and several other passages as we work our way through the woman's response to the man's headship in marriage. First, we need to understand the meaning of submission. When it says in our passage, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, what does it mean that they are to be subject? Now, the word itself simply means to to come underneath, really to arrange oneself underneath the authority of another. It's a military term where the troops were to come underneath the direction of the commander-in-chief or the general who was, who was directing them. So they came underneath him in order to accomplish the purpose given and it had to be in an orderly fashion where they followed his directions. That's the general meaning of the word. However, if we're going to uh, kind of build out a biblical understanding of submission as it relates to, most specifically, to a wife in marriage, then we need a more theological definition. And so I've given you two. I've given you two definitions because they both approach, or each one has a, a bit of a nuance as it relates to what it means for a wife to be subject to her husband. So first, and these are on your outline, the voluntary, so submission is a, a biblical definition, the voluntary sacrificial willingness to come under the husband's authority in helpful obedience for the exaltation of Christ and the accomplishment of God's purposes. And then, again, to just look at it kind of from the standpoint of the, how the wife does this, her exercise of her giftedness, a woman's willing yieldedness to the leadership of her husband, which enables her to exercise her full giftedness in respectful partnership without ever demanding the final authority. So we're going to work our way through how it is that a woman lives out this particular command. What does it mean to be subject? So first, this is, uh, the woman does this. She subjects herself to her husband as an equal. And we spent much time on this, right? The woman submits as a human being who has been created in the image of God, equally valuable and endowed with equally strong and important capacities and gifts. Not the same capacities and gifts that a man has, but equally valuable and important one. Once. And this is vital because the idea of subjection is not of an inferior coming underneath a superior, but two spiritual equals in, in which the woman chooses, because of the command of Scripture, to come underneath her husband's leadership. So it is equal, right? That is two equals, one willingly coming underneath the direction of another because of what God has commanded. But the, number two, and this is important, it is a voluntary submission. What do I mean by that? It's commanded in Scripture. Right? This is what the wife is to do. Nonetheless, it is the active participation of her will. She's not forced into this submission. And the command is given to the man and the woman equally. So the man has a command to lovingly lead. The woman has a command to submissively help, and both of them receive that command from God. So it is not the man's place to be saying, well, uh, because I am in dominion over you, I command you to submit. What he is doing is he is calling on the wife to respond to God's authority in this area when it comes to this fundamental submission. Just as the wife would call upon the husband to lovingly lead. That's his responsibility. They're equal before the Lord. Sometimes this is misunderstood. And so the man has ultimate dominion, and then as they enter into this relationship, he commands his wife to submit to him. No, God commands her to submit. He calls on her to do that, and yet she must exercise her will to accomplish that. This cannot be forced. It is not the same kind of submission, even in one sense, as a master to a slave. A slave's submission, in one sense, is not willing. It is required. It is forced. A wife's submission is not 
forced. It is willing in that sense. And that's why I take a moment to talk about that because sometimes, again, men view this as almost a master-slave relationship where they are forcing their wives to submit. It's not the case at all. It's equal, it's voluntary. It cannot be forced in that sense, even though underneath or before the Lord, it is commanded for the wife to submit herself, to subject herself to her husband. This is, of course, not related to any sort of inferiority. Voluntary submission is a matter of understanding God's pattern for relationship and willingly taking on, we would call it the functional subordination necessary to accomplish his will. And by functional, I mean it is the willing choice of a spiritual equal in her function to come underneath in willing submission. So it is voluntary, it is equal, it is also purposeful. The wife submits herself for the purpose of assisting the husband in the God-given task that he has been assigned. The wife humbly uses her spiritual gifts to enable the family to accomplish the will of God. Genesis 2.18 is clear. The, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the woman needs to understand that her voluntary submission is for a purpose. That is that together with her husband, they are to accomplish the work and will of God. And that both validates and strengthens the submission to know that they are accomplishing a purpose, that they're moving forward toward what God has. But it is also this submission is loving. Just as the husband lovingly lays his life down for his wife, so the wife lovingly submits to her husband. There is no act in the human life or in the Christian life that is less than motivated by love. And so this submission, although the wife's direct command Right, is not to love, yet everything the wife does and everything every Christian does is built around the love motivation. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Colossians 3.14 is clear. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So it's not as though the husband loves and the wife just kind of comes underneath. Now, as the wife is submitting herself to her husband's loving leadership, in doing so, she is loving him. And she is loving Christ. So this is, there's a, 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 the love of Christ shared between them in the roles that God has given them. So this is a loving submission. The very highest good for the husband to walk is to walk with God, to reflect and to take on the character of Christ, and for them both to bring glory to God. And it is for this reason that the wife subjects herself, that her husband would look like Christ, that in their marriage they would reflect and portray the love of Christ all to the glory of God. Because the wife loves God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, she therefore loves her husband as herself and lovingly submits to him. This submission is also sacrificial. Just as the husband sacrifices in laying down his life for his wife, so the wife sacrifices in coming underneath her husband. She yields her will, and she yields to the Lord in response to the, de- to the direction of her husband. Now, again, this cannot be manipulative. The wife does not submit for the purpose, as it were, of getting her own way. She comes underneath so that the Lord's purposes will be accomplished. You see, it is the result of the fall for a woman to want to use any part of her position as a wife to manipulate the husband and manipulate the marriage in the direction that she desires. That's the fall. Right? where it says that the wife will have a desire for her husband, not a good, godly desire to love him, but the desire to replace him, to ascend above him in leadership. And so, ladies, this, this 
submission, this voluntary submission is sacrificial. You are laying down your life in that sense. You are laying down your own will so that you come underneath your husband's direction, which is coming underneath the Lord as well. 1 Peter 3.6, and we'll revisit this passage in a few minutes, says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Without all the, the, I would say, the negative patriarchal associations of that phrase, she called him Lord, the purpose there is that she recognizes, Sarah recognizes about Abraham, and a wife recognizes this about her husband, that he has been given the authority to direct the relationship. That's what it means when she addressed him as Lord. You are the one who is leading, and I respect and honor that position, and I come underneath you as that. It's a strong word. It's a strong phrase. And yet properly understood, it, it, it perfectly reflects God's will for the wife in marriage to recognize her husband's authority, to come underneath it willingly, and it is sacrificial. She sacrifices in order to do this. So again, this word has nothing to do with worth or status in the eyes of God. In any relationship, there must be a willing submission on the part of one party so that God's work can be accomplished. This command is attached, as we have seen, to the creation order in which the woman was created to be a helper for the man. She was literally created from the man, and thus she is placed in the subordinate role in order, that is subordinate in function, in order to be of the greatest amount of help possible. This is a willing, purposeful, loving submission for the express purpose of fulfilling the will of God for the individual, the family, and thus the church. Timothy, excuse me, Titus 2 verses 4 and 5 say this, as the, as the older women are to instruct the young women, here's what they are to tell them, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Ladies, you come underneath your husbands so that what is, what is commanded in God's word is properly honored. And when you are honoring the word of God, you are honoring God himself. You cannot possibly say, God, I love you and I'm going to honor you and not obey his word. So this willing submission is for the purpose of bringing glory to God, honoring him in what he has said. A similar position would be the congregation coming underneath the elders. If we want to know what a functional subordination looks like, the congregation and the elders are equal as Christians before the Lord. Yet the congregation comes underneath the leadership of the elders because someone must come under and someone must lead in order for the task to get accomplished. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Submit to them because they are better than you. No, it doesn't say that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as to those who will give an, as those who will give an account. They have an authority role to give an account to God, the elders do, and the husband has an authority role to give an account to God for the direction of the marriage. So the wife willingly, joyfully, sacrificially comes underneath him in order for that task to be accomplished. Well, what's the example of submission? So ladies, who are you looking to? Because it says in our passage that the husband looks to Christ, right? She looks to Christ, or the husband looks to Christ as the one who laid down his life for the church. Well, to whom does the wife look? Well, the same, right? She is also subject to her husband in light of the very example of Christ himself. We understand and know even from the text that we have been reading in 1 Corinthians 11 that there is a willing submission on the part of Christ, the Son of God, to the Father, 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman, and God is the head 
of Christ. It's reflected in verses like John 6, 38, where Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The Son willingly subjects himself to the Father for the accomplishment of the purpose. Someone subjects and someone leads. Someone comes underneath and someone directs. This is the way that God accomplishes his purposes. And so Christ as perfectly equal with the Father, in no way inferior in any capacity, he willingly comes underneath the Father to accomplish the work. So a wife comes underneath her husband. Now, Christ went even further than that in his submission, we understand. In this time of Christmas, we sacrificed Christ born of a virgin, Christ born as a baby, Christ growing up as, as a child. And what did he do even as a child? Christ the God-man in every way superior to his parents, submitted himself to them in order to live in obedience to Scripture and prepare himself for the life of ministry that lay ahead, Luke 2.51. When they find him in the temple, remember, they, they, they go down for the feast and they leave, there's a big entourage of family and things, and they leave him for three days. Don't leave your children at the church for three days. That's just, it's not good. Right. Then they go back and they find him and, and he says, didn't you know I had to be here? He's really revealing to them, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to have to be. Get ready for this. He's only 12. It's at that time the, that, that the young man was beginning to step into his or take on the role that he was going to have. So he says, look, I had to be in my father's house. But after that, what does he do? In verse, uh, Luke 2.51, he went down with them. He came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I'll bet. So as Christ came underneath even his own parents so that they might accomplish the task that had been given. And then third, uh, if, you, if, if you're taking notes underneath the example of submission, is Christ was submitted himself to human beings in general. Christ the God-man, again superior to every human being, willingly submitted himself to their authority. He did so even unto death in order to accomplish the work of redemption. Philippians 2, 5, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was perfectly equal with God. And he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we had a purpose to go unto death. It is not as though the wife's submission requires that she go unto death at the hands of her husband. Her submissiveness to him is in relationship to his authority over her, which does not certainly extend to his being able to harm her in that way. And yet, and, and so the church comes to play and, and cares for a wife as she would wrestle if a husband were to do that kind of thing to her. Yet nonetheless, Christ's willingness to come underneath the authority even of human beings that he has created reflects the nature of the willing submission of a wife to her husband. Ladies, you are never more Christ-like and when you are joyfully submitting to your husband, even when it is difficult, this is the furthest thing from being demeaning or insulting. It is the very picture of Christ himself. The world would steal from you this privilege, ladies. Do not allow the world to do so. By demeaning submission, by saying it's somehow foolish and harmful. It is not inherently harmful in any way. It is inherently righteous and properly reflects the very character of Christ himself. The church must not be intimidated by the world to somehow redefine what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. It is the truth of Scripture. It is the best way for a marriage relationship to go forward. It is the means by which God is fully glorified in marriage and then ultimately in the church. 
And so we preach strongly and joyfully this truth of submission in marriage, submission of a wife to her husband. Well, what's the method? How, how does this get done? Scripture lays out, it, it puts boundaries, or really it, it gives guidelines as to how this submission goes forward. So that's the method of submission. And first, in our text, it says, wives, be subject, verse 22, to your own husbands. And this is important, right? This, this kind of comprehensive subje- subjection is for a wife to her own husband, not for a woman to every man. There are various areas of submission to leadership and other spheres of authority, but this comprehensive submission, right, it's not simply for every woman to every man. It is very specifically wives to your own husbands, not wives to all other husbands, right, wives to their own. And so there's this unique and comprehensive nature to submission which happens in marriage that is not the same as a wife's submission or a woman's submission in any other place. It is unique in its comprehensiveness, unique in its exercise, unique in its command to to their own husbands. And it is simply a, a, when this is viewed as inappropriate or when this is viewed as as something that harms women, it has often to do with a, a view of leadership as being superior and following as being inferior. As fallen humans, we tend to view any role of leadership as somehow indicating the greatness or the greater value of the person leading. But the Bible, Bible views leadership and subjection, leading and following, with equal value. In fact, if there's any value in Scripture uh, where one leadership or submission is valued over the other, it is almost always submission that is valued, or one comes underneath. George Knight says this. He wrote in the book, uh, Rediscovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, that I've suggested several times. Paul's not insisting that every relationship between a woman and a man is one of submission and headship, in, as described in marriage. But that where leadership is an ingredient of the situation as in marriage, the woman comes underneath the direction of her husband. So it is to her own husband. It is also as to the Lord. This is a spiritual matter. It's vital that we understand this, that a woman is responding to her husband in light of her relationship with the Lord. I think there's two aspects to this as to the Lord. So the woman submits as to the Lord because she is submitting to his command, it is right and good. Anything that God commands is right. It is the fitting thing to do. And so a woman submits in that way. This is right and good. Not grudgingly. Not, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this. No, but because it is fitting. Colossians 3.18, I think, helps us understand that. It says, a wife is to be subject to her own husband as is fitting in the Lord. This is right. This is fitting. It's the perfect plan. They are to come together in this way because the Lord has designed it. And how could the Lord design anything inappropriate? How could he design anything that would be inherently harmful to his people, to a man or to a woman? It is impossible for him to design something which would be harmful. It is for their good because this was designed, as we have so carefully seen, before the fall. This is not a result of sin, this headship and submission, this leading and following. It was designed even before the fall. It is good and right. It is fitting. And so the woman does this as to the Lord, knowing that his commands are always fitting and right. But I think also she responds to her husband's authority because she is also responding to the authority of the Lord. She submits to him because she is submitting to Christ. And this is what she has been called to do by Christ himself. So it does not have to do with the husband's abilities. 
It does not have to do with how well the husband is living this out. If he does this really well, if he does this just right, then I'll submit to him. No, she is submitting to whom? Ultimately to the Lord. That's why she comes underneath him, even when he is wrestling and struggling. I mean, 1 Peter 3 is clear. There are husbands who are disobedient to the word. Now, that may be referring to unbelieving husbands, and I want you to think about this. There are ladies in our congregation whom we have counseled as elders consistently and try to walk with them in a situation in which they are submitting biblically to ungodly husbands, that is to unbelieving husbands. How could an unbelieving husband ever have the desire to honor and please the Lord? He doesn't. And yet there is still the responsibility of the wife to come underneath and biblically submit. Why? Because she is submitting to the Lord ultimately. Doesn't, doesn't abrogate the husband's authority. And yet, it means that he isn't somehow the Lord himself. So as long as he acts like the Lord, she submits to him. No. As, she, as he exercises his authority, then she comes underneath. Now, this also means, however, that everything that the husband says is not as though it is from the Lord. So she doesn't submit to her husband and everything he says, well, that's God's command to you. If he commands her to do, do something sinful, she cannot and must not because no husband is actually the Lord. And husbands will ask sinful and foolish things at times, at least some will. And so the, it, there are husbands who somehow view this command as, okay, then what this means is if you're submitting to me as to the Lord, then everything I say to you as, is as though God said it. Be careful there, men. You do not bear the weight of God. Your authority is drawn from him, but you are not God to your wife. I've heard that stated. I've heard men say that to their children. When I say something to you, it carries the weight of God. Now, be careful. You have weight. It is God's weight behind your authority, but your statements do not carry the weight of God to anyone. This, the Bible carries the weight of God to everyone. So be so careful. There are distinctions that need to be made when it comes to a husband and his exercise of authority, not somehow claiming that everything I say is just as though God stated it to you. I've heard it said, which is the reason that I mention it. And unfortunately, that has been taken on in some circles that that is what that means. So it is a submission as unto the Lord, but also it is as the church submits to Christ. How does the church submit to Christ? Well, joyfully. So wife's submission is not grudging, it's not halting, it is joyful knowing that they are seeking to accomplish, that Christ is directing the church in ways that would help that the individual, the church itself, look like Christ. We joyfully submit to Christ. Also, it's, it's a gracious submission. It's not the submission of an unwilling servant forced to bow to the will of a cruel taskmaster, but the gentle and quiet response of a helpmate who willingly dedicates her life to the care and provision of her husband. If it sounds like you've heard that before, any wedding that I've ever done, you've heard that in. Because that's the nature of submission. It's a glorious submission. That is, the church submits to Christ so that the word of God is accomplished in the world and God receives the glory that he deserves. So a wife submits to her, her husband so that the work of God is accomplished in the marriage and in the world and God receives the glory that he deserves. It's a glorious submission. And so if the church submits to Christ, so also the wife is to submit to her husband. It's a, a total submission. That is, in the sphere of this authority, it is in everything. Again, that's in our text. So wives ought to submit to their husbands in everything. That is the overall direction of the life and home as it is pointed towards the glory of God and really as it is overseen in its daily working. The wife is to come underneath the direction of the husband. Now, we've given some of the caveats to this. This does not mean that the husband is given inherent authority to dominate the wife's person 
Like he then replaces her. Right? It's, it's fascinating that Christ doesn't give you a lot of rules about what friends you can have or who you can take, where you can, when you can take a shower or the length of your hair or how often you do the dishes or how your pantry is organized. Right? Christ is directing his church to accomplish the purposes and work that he desires. And as the son of God, he has the authority over every part even of our individual lives. The husband has a derived authority from the Lord to direct the home in the ways that will enable it to please and honor the Lord. Now again, when he wrestles there, there is still an authority. The wife still comes underneath. But that is the sphere in which that everything takes place that is the workings of the home to direct it forward. Ultimately, the goal would be that that would be to please and honor the Lord. So in everything, there is no place where the wife can say, well, I'm not going to follow you here. I know you've made this decision. I know this is the way that you are directing us, but I reserve the right to say, no, that is not her prerogative. She is to come underneath when a final decision is made and to walk in that direction, unless, of course, it is something that is directly violating a command of Scripture. This is a challenge, ladies, because we often want to get around this command. Well, he's not walking with the Lord, or he's not doing everything that he should, so I don't have to come underneath him in this. Yes, you do. This is what you are called to do and to come underneath in the totality of the sphere of his authority. This is also with all respect, number five, with all respect. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 from Ephesians. So 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll spend a bit of time here. So another passage given, instruction given to wives is in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, 1 Peter 3, 1, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Verse 5, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. There's a, a respect inherent in the position given by God. In Ephesians 5, the last verse I read, verse 33, says the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. There is a respect and an honor which is attached to the position that the husband has in exercising his authority. And the wife is to remember this. The wife is to respond in light of that authority, and to honor him, to respect him in that way. You can immediately really see or understand a wife who does not respect her husband when she will not yield her will to him. Those two are directly related together. You will not biblically yield to one whom you refuse to honor. And that honor is built around that role coming from Christ, not the inherent honorability of the man himself. Even though he ought to do everything possible to be, to be worthy of that, he will never be fully worthy of it. And it, there is called, the, the wife is called to respect him in such a way that she will yield. If you don't have any respect or honor for his position, you will always struggle to yield. Now again, this does not mean that you present, pretend that he is something that he is not. You aren't yielding to him, yielding your will because he is perfect, or as I said, or because he's the Lord. There are times when you will recognize and realize that he's acting foolishly, that he's acting sinfully. And this submission does not mean you pretend those things don't exist or you somehow convince yourself that they are untrue. A husband will sometimes try to do this. Your submission means that you have to view everything I'm doing as right and good and you can't challenge it in any way. 
No, this is not mind control. So a wife could fully acknowledge, my husband is acting like a fool. How and when and where she expresses that, she would need to be careful. But she is not required to somehow pretend that he, isn't, that he is something that he is not. In fact, again, we would understand from Scripture that the command for a wife to submit to her husband does not abrogate all the other commands of Scripture, like Galatians 6, which says, if a brother is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Marriage doesn't automatically annul that command. Or Matthew 5, when we're speaking of church discipline, that if anyone sins, you're supposed to go individually to them. So I'm like, well, you're a wife, so you couldn't ever confront your, your husband's sin, and you could not ever uh, express to him that he should repent. Of course you can, and of course you should, but it is to be done with the proper respect and honor that comes in your position as wife to a husband. So there is this with all respect, and yet it does not abrogate the other principles of Scripture. Remember, read your Bibles as a totality. Don't cancel out one command for another. This is also then with a gentle and quiet spirit, as in the as where I just read, that a wife comes underneath her husband, even one who is wrestling in his ability to, to walk with God. When it says the husband is one without a word by the behavior of their wives, again, I don't think that undoes all other biblical principles that she couldn't ever and shouldn't ever say anything about his sin. I, I think clearly from that passage, the issue is that her primary behavior in the home is not a constant confrontation of his sin, but a living before him in a holy manner which will draw out his conscience, recognizing and seeing her holiness so that he responds. I don't think the text commands that no woman would ever say anything about a husband's sin, simply that the tone of their relationship is not that she's constantly throwing it in his face, constantly nagging him about the nature of his sin. She directs it biblically as is appropriate and then continues to live wisely, righteously, and truthfully in that marriage. And she does so with this gentle and quiet spirit. Well, what is that? That is, the woman submits in holiness and godliness, and she does so with full rest in Christ. That's what a quiet spirit is. A quiet spirit has nothing to do with, again, some, maybe our 18th century patriarchal stereotypes where a woman kind of walks around with her head cast down, doesn't say much, she's seen and not heard. That's, that's a, a male chauvinistic understanding of what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit. See, it has nothing to do with her personality. She could be bubbly, loud, fun-loving, and vigorous in her personality and still be completely gentle and quiet in spirit. That is, she's restful before the Lord. And as she comes underneath her husband, even a husband that might be disobedient to the word, she's resting in Christ. She's resting in his authority, in Christ's oversight, trusting in him. And so her heart is not angry, bitter, frustrated, and dissatisfied as she submits. Ladies, how are you doing? Most of you don't have husbands who are purposely disobedient to the Lord, and still you wrestle to not be bitter, angry, and frustrated at times. How are you doing in your submission? Gentle, quiet? Gentle is just, it's power under control. It's exhibiting the proper amount of force in any given situation, which which reflects the nature of how you are to respond. Are you gentle? Are you quiet? Totally trusting in the Lord because that's what our text says. For the same way the holy women of other times, of of the times before, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Why? Because they hoped in God, verse 5. 
They hoped in God. And so therefore they had no fear because they knew God would care for them even as they accomplished this work of coming underneath by willingly submitting themselves to him. So this submission is with a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, what's the meaning then of helping? So this, this direction is given to what it means to submit. Now I'd like to spend some time on the other half of what it is to be a woman in marriage, and that is to help. And unfortunately, I think so often we spend only time on what it means to submit. But the woman is a submissive helper. She is supposed to be coming alongside the man. She was designed and built for his help. So what does that mean? So I'd like to finish out our time this morning by discussing that. A helper suitable for him is what Genesis 2.18 says. It wasn't good that he would be alone. And so therefore she is to be a biblical helper, one who is equal to him in spiritual capacities, yet created with different abilities and different capacities. To to help simply means to um, give benefit to, to come alongside and help someone accomplish the task. A biblical helper in marriage, if we're going to round out that definition a bit, so this is here D, the meaning of helper, I would say it's the Holy Spirit-empowered marriage role in which a woman joyfully and submissively employs all her godly wisdom, skill, and talent in managing a household for the good of her husband and the accomplishment of their God-given task in life. So the goal of the helping is that they would together accomplish the work that God has given to them. So turn to Proverbs 31. If we want to see what a helper might look like, again, the command in Ephesians was to to be subject to the husband, but it doesn't undo or forget the very nature for which the woman was created to be his helper. So in Proverbs 31, really what we have is the fleshing out of wisdom in marriage, the fleshing out of what a wise woman would do as a wife. Now understand in Proverbs there are two different kinds of women. There's the woman of folly who leads men astray. And then there's the woman, wisdom, who calls upon him to have a fear of the Lord. Well, the woman, wisdom, if she were to enter into a marriage relationship, she would look just like this. Now, it's a bit of a composite picture. That is, this is like every, I mean, every good characteristic of every woman ever created. So women, ladies, don't be overly intimidated by Proverbs 31. Right? Because there's, there's characteristics here that each of you is to seek to emulate, and yet none of you will perfectly emulate. Just as no husband will ever look exactly like Christ, no woman will look exactly like the Proverbs 31 woman. Yet, it is the goal. This is what a helper looks like. And men, this will be help, helpful for you. Ladies, this will be helpful for you as we put some feet on what it really means to help. Because sometimes we see that word helper, men tend to see it as, oh, well, this is the person who is, was given me to accomplish what I want, not accomplish what God wants. This is the woman who was given to me to simply accentuate my own desires. No, she is to help you accomplish what God would have, and that's a robust, vigorous help. If you want a true helper, What is the worth of that helper? So that would be E on your outline. So D was the meaning of helper. E is the worth of a helper. And here we see how valuable this helper is. Proverbs 31, verse 10. By the way, verses 10 through 31 are one long acrostic. That is, each verse begins with a different letter successively of the Hebrew alphabet. And it was written that way so that men would memorize it. All right? Now, women as well. But really, this this was written. Proverbs was written to whom? Sons. Again, it doesn't mean daughters don't read it. The wisdom is for them as well. 
So Solomon is leaving behind this wisdom, and he's saying, look, if you want to find young men, a woman of wisdom, this is what she looks like, and I've given you this helpful acrostic so that you can memorize it, and you will know what it is that she is to be like. And ladies, you're also memorizing it to know this is the kind of woman I'm aspiring to be if I'm going to live out wisdom. So what is, what is the value? Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. Well, men, many of you have found one. That is to your everlasting benefit. And yet, don't somehow think that that is, is normal. It does not happen as often as it should. It is rare. An excellent wife who can find. Her worth is far above jewels. I mean, again, this is not the little woman in the kitchen who just accomplishes your desire. She is valuable beyond expression. Her help is absolutely necessary. It's not just talking about only her, her person intrinsically. It's talking about the kind of help that she provides. You have to have this help. MacArthur says this wonderfully. He says, the word here, that is the idea of helper, emphasizes the man's need for a companion, a helper, and an equal. Right? Helper suitable to him. He was incomplete without someone to compliment him in fulfilling the task of filling, multiplying, and taking dominion over the earth. This points to Adam's inadequacy, not Eve's insufficiency. The woman was made by God to meet the man's deficiency. It's not well, it's nice to add a trophy wife to my collection to clean my house. No, what I am adding is someone absolutely necessary for me to accomplish the task that I've been given before God. Men never forget this, and ladies don't forget it either. That's why you have been given. That's why you've been given this husband, and this is what you're doing together. You are working hard, and the worth is beyond it's beyond expression. It's beyond value. It's far above jewels, which, by the way, is exactly how wisdom is described in the Bible as well, that true fear of the Lord, which recognizes and comes underneath God's sovereign power to accomplish His work. She's rare. She's valuable. Why? She's trustworthy. I mean, her, the heart of her husband trusts in her. There's not some slave that wanders around. There's a true intimate trust as they walk together to accomplish this task. And equal with and equal, trusting in one another, and the husband trusting in his wife. He'll have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all her days. Ladies, this is what you are to do for your husband, even as he wrestles and struggles, to do him good and not evil all of her days. She's consistently good to him because she consistently fears the Lord. So that's the worth of a helper. What's the work of the helper? What does this helper accomplish? By the way, I wish I, I wish I had time, I don't this morning, to take you to 1 Samuel 25, where it speaks of the woman Abigail. It's a fascinating account because it talks about her response to her unbelieving husband, where she actually cares for him, oversees the household. It will give you a whole new view of what the helper, even in Old Testament patriarchal situations, would look like. Right? She, she is the one who's running that household, and she is the one to whom the servants come when they realize things are going wrong. As David comes down, if you remember the story, he was, he was helping, uh, Nabal was the guy's name, the wife's name was Abigail. He was helping the shepherds uh, and protecting the sheep, and so he came down to ask for some benefits from when they, were, um, when they were shearing the sheep and then killing them to get the meat. Well, he gets rejected, David gets rejected by this guy Nabal, and the servants come to Abigail and say, Look, Nabal or Nabal, this man, he's, I mean, he can't even be dealt with. So what are we going to do? Our whole household is in danger. So she immediately works for actually Nabal's benefit for his household by going to talk to David, even though she calls him. It's fascinating. She says, he's a fool. 
She recognized and understand what he's like. As an unbeliever, he was foolish, he was hard, and yet she still was caring for that household, dealing, doing him well, actually protecting him from David. It's fascinating. Even though he was a foolish man, and so she cares for him, and yet when she goes to, to David, she responds to him respectfully. She says, my Lord, again, not in some kind of subservience where she's lesser of lesser value, but in his position of authority. I guess we did go there a little. That's 1 Samuel 25. It's a fascinating picture of both a helper in an unbelieving context and then as she responds to David, uh, it's, it's fascinating. So you should take some more time with that. But So the work of the helper, what does this helper do? One, and again, this is just very briefly to give us an overview. The, the work of a helper is to focus on the benefit of the household. Please understand this, all right? A, the, a woman is, has, has a wide latitude to, to accomplish, to be, to pursue nearly anything as long as that is done in light of caring for the home. So often this is kind of viewed through a stereotypical lens. Well, a wife can only do these things in order to actually focus on the home. Really, who are you to decide that? Right? If the woman, in conjunction with her husband, Right, is working through this and saying the goal is to care for the home and, and to make sure that the home is well cared for, that the husband is properly honored as we will see. If that's the case, then the latitude for the woman in conjunction with her husband as they walk through this is not for you to decide. You don't decide that. Well, I don't think a woman can do that and I don't think she ought to be doing that. Really, if the Bible doesn't command her that she can't do certain things, then you aren't to command her either. She can't do anything outside the home. Really, this woman does. Right? She, can't, she can't use her own funds. This woman does talking about separating out the finances of, of the family, simply that she is able to make expenditures as she thinks and works through things. So there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount of latitude here, but there is no latitude for the focus of a married woman not to be on the home. It must be. So the primary goal of any and every married woman is that the home is well cared for, however she does that. However, she agrees with that in conjunction with her husband, but that is to be the goal. There is Old Testament, New Testament, there's no variation in that command and in that pattern. So she's focused on the benefit of the home. I mean, you can just read here what she does for the home. And she's like merchant ships. She brings food from afar. She drives the van to Walmart, <laughs> brings it back. Okay, there's no Walmart, but she rises while it's still night. She gives food to her household, portions to her maidens. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. She's out. I mean, that's for the benefit of her family. She's going she's to accomplish maybe expanding their fields so they will be bringing in more food for the home. All right? But yes, she's considering. She's out looking. She's out, she, the husband doesn't go out and buy it for her. She goes out. What's the value of the land? Which means she has to know these things, which she does. Even this whole idea of, that it was kind of passed down in a, patri a foolishly male-dominated society that women shouldn't learn or women shouldn't know things or women shouldn't be educated. Foolishness. The Bible never taught that. She knows, she understands, she's able to even contemplate, how can I buy this? What's it worth? What's its value? How do I get involved in business? But of course, this is for the benefit of her home. She considers the field, she buys it from her earnings. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I don't think they have separate bank accounts. It's simply that she's been, she sets aside the money she's been making from this, and she has the latitude and leeway to buy another field with that amount, her earnings. That is, she is the one whose work brought that money in. I mean, it's separate from the husband's oversight or their work together with it. But nonetheless, that's a fascinating thought, right? So she makes money, she spends it. Why? Again, this is all so that the home will step forward in health. She girds herself with strength. She senses that her gain is good. I love that. She doesn't go, wow, I wish I could be out somewhere else. 
Wish I could have just go into business for myself and get rid of my home. No, she said, this is good. All the gain I'm getting from the benefit of the home is the most wonderful thing. It's great. But notice that it goes past her house. Verse 20, she extends her hands to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. So she's involved in, 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 and this has been true for women down throughout the centuries, where they've been involved in actively pouring out resources out of the home into the rest of society because they had enough. Because in their wise use and pursuit of benefiting the home, it then benefits everything else. Not as we only benefit the home. Nothing else outside of that. No, the purpose is it would extend out. The benefit and blessing would flood. The home would be so prosperous and so well run and so well overseen that should the Lord bless that you would be able to have an abundance for the people around you. Isn't that an amazing thought? What, what, what an exciting purpose this is. As she's focused on the benefit of the home, she makes coverings for herself, her husband. Now, if, if you look at the acrostic here I've, and, and the way this is, the, the text is built, the highlight of this passage comes in verse 23. And all this is about the woman, the woman, she's doing this and this. And then what happens? Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You're like, wait a minute. Wait, I mean, I thought, I mean, the woman is doing all this work. Why doesn't she get all the glory? Because it is not the woman's role to receive the glory, even from the work she does, not from society. See, the husband is successful because of his wife. That's clearly the indication here, right? He gets the tremendous benefit of that, but he does get the glory. That's what it means in, when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the, the man is the, the glory of Christ and that the woman, or that the man is the glory of the woman. That is her promotion of his success is the way that she glorifies Christ in a marriage. Ladies, how are you doing with that? My goal is to make my husband look great. Well, he's not worthy of that. He's just not a very nice guy. It is still your goal that he would succeed, that he would be seen. Not, again, not pretending that he's something he's not, not making excuses for him, not sinning for him, but that is your goal. That's why you were created, ladies, so that your husband, in that sense, receives the glory. Are you willing to be just like Christ, who did what? Subjected himself to the will of his father so that who would receive the glory? God would, God the Father, as it were. Ladies, are you willing to do that? Do you recognize that that is your call? He, you do all this work, and guess what? He looks good. In biblical terms, or in New Testament terms, he's able to accomplish his task both in society to, to run the business or do whatever it is he's doing, and then also to accomplish his work within the church, that primary task he's been given. Ladies, do you delight when your husband accomplishes his task? Well, you should. It is your goal. Now, it doesn't mean the woman doesn't get any glory. It doesn't mean that she doesn't receive praise. She just gets it from somewhere else. So let's continue. So she's focused on the benefit of the home, too. She is focused on the glory. If you want to put that in quotes, you can, but just simply it means that his benefit, his blessing. She's focused on the glory of her husband. Right? That's what this work done accomplishes. And then number three, her focus is on character and not beauty. Her focus is on character and not beauty. Back in our text, verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. She doesn't have to look pretty soon all the latest stuff. What, what clothes her with dignity? All right, is, is her internal character, as we'll see, fearing the Lord. That's what makes her beautiful. That's where she receives her glory, not showing herself off, but having this character, strength, and dignity. She smiles at the future. Sure, she does. She has a fear of the Lord. She's honoring her husband. She's pouring into her home with all these other creative, amazing things she does 
She smiles at the future because she knows she is living properly in light of it. She looks well to the ways of her household. This is kind of summarizing things. And does not eat the bread of idleness. How does she receive her blessing? Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her. I run into far too many women, women who are seeking the praise of everyone other than their husbands. And they're, oh, it's just my husband. Ladies, if you do not, if you do not appreciate and desire the praise of your husband, you do not honor him. You're not to be looking to your praise for the world, for, from society. They need to appreciate my beauty. They need to appreciate my skills. Society does not need to do that for you. Your husband should. Now, the travesty is too many husbands don't. Now, it still is not for the wife to go try to find it somewhere else. But in too many homes, I find that the husband is not the one providing primary praise, primary encouragement. Well, she's, she doesn't love the Lord as much as she should. She's lazy and she doesn't accomplish all the things that she should. Well, welcome to looking at yourself. All right, she probably thinks some of those things about you. And she's supposed to stop honoring you, stop respecting you, stop coming underneath you. No, she must continue to do that. You must continue to praise her. You find anything and everything that you can do to accentuate her value, and you should be promoting it all the time. But ladies, would it matter to you if your husbands did? Would that really cause you to delight in God because your husband praised you? Or is it like, yeah, it's just my husband. No, that's the, that's the praise you're supposed to be looking for. Why? Because that's God praising you. He's praising you through your husband and your children. Children here, how often do you Give thanks for your moms. How often do you tell them all the blessings and benefits they've, they've brought to you? Well, my mom is not nice. She d- does things she shouldn't. Yeah, welcome to the club. So do you. Helping you eat, making provision for you. To, to rise up and call her blessed is what you ought to be doing. And when that doesn't happen, it just, it just it makes the wife's job of finding her glory in the home that much more difficult. It doesn't abrogate it. That's still where it needs to be found. But my men, you ought to be doing this. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And again, you are to be looking men for every way in which you can do this. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Give her the product of her hands. Let her receive the benefit. And it's not like, well, thanks for doing all that. Yeah, you're supposed to make me look great, and that's wonderful, so I want to look great, and I'm going to... The the benefit, let her works praise her in the gates. You ought to be doing that, man. You ought to be talking about, you see anything good in me? That's the Lord's goodness through my wife. So grateful for all that she does so that we can accomplish this work together. Do not steal that from her because she is supposed to be looking to you for it. So make sure that she receives the benefit, that she receives the blessing. Simply... Because she is your wife, just as you do not earn her submission, she doesn't have to earn your praise in that sense. This is my wife, and I praise her for the fact that she is that, and I'm going to give every possible blessing and benefit that I can. It is the wife's glory to submissively help the husband accomplish their God-given task of making disciples, and we make no excuse for this. This is how the Lord built the relationship. The wife as submissive helper focuses on the oversight of the home and the promotion of her husband's success, and we make no excuse for this either. This is what is best. This is how the the relationship best works forward. And the submissive helper redounds. When a wife accomplishes this work, it redounds to the glory of God and provides the wife's greatest satisfaction. 
Ladies, you're not going to find it by refusing to submit, by refusing to honor your husband, by, by com- competing with him for the ministry goals. You're not going to find your, you might think you're going to find your satisfaction that way, but you're not. Going outside the home to find all of the, the validation that you desire, you won't find satisfaction that way. And look around at our world and see how satisfied the women in our world are. It's, it's devastating. It's a travesty. Our ladies are not. All those things that the world has told them they were supposed to do have destroyed their womanhood and not enhanced it at all. God knows the perfect way. He knows exactly what he's doing. Let's delight in doing that together. Let's pray. Well, thank you that you have laid out for us this perfect plan. Husbands who lovingly lead. Wives who, who submissively help. And Lord, I pray that we would delight in these things you've given us and that we would do them well so that the world would see the greatness of Christ. Or that we would, not, we would not capitulate to their desires for manhood and womanhood, but that we would show them the beauty of biblical manhood and womanhood. In your precious name, Lord Jesus.